James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, which James is that? It's like all the Marys in the Bible. There's a lot of Jameses out there. So there's different thoughts on it. There's several people named James in the New Testament. James, there's James the brother of John. Remember the, son, the sons of thunder. Oh, can we sit at your right hand? Just answer us this one thing. Let us call down fire. That was one of the, the John uh, Jameses. He was the most prominent James in the Gospels. He is one of the sons of thunder, like we talked about. One of the fishermen's. Uh, fisherman. He became a disciple of Jesus Christ and was later martyred by Herod Agrippa I, uh, as we read in Acts chapter 12, verse 2. And most think it's his martyrdom made it too early for him to be the author. And uh, Jean, there's Jean, the son of Alphaeus, uh, in chapter 10, verse 3 of Matthew, talks about. He was one of the 12 disciples. Very little is known about him. He's just the brother of Matthew or Levi, another disciple of the Lord. But again, there's no hint that he wrote the epistle. Then there's James, the father of the other apostle, Judas or Jude, uh, not Judas Iscariot. And so we have that mention of a guy named James in the Bible. Then there was James, um, known as James the Just, the half-brother of Jesus. And uh, we find this in Matthew 13 and in Jude 1 and Galatians chapter 2. Um, most scholars believe that this guy, the half-brother of Jesus, was the author of the book of James. Uh, this seems to be the author of our epistle. He's not so identified, but it's much more about his character that's revealed in keeping than what is known about him. Uh, this, this choice is basically, it's a tradition of the church. Many, um, I think it was uh, Clement of Alexandria, uh, spoke about it. He said um, that that James remained in Jer- that in Jerusalem, Ju- uh, Peter, James, and John chose James, the brother of Jesus, to be the pastor of the Jerusalem church or the lead elder of the, uh, the earlier Jerusalem church after the ascension of Christ. And so that was one of the early church fathers writing about what had happened. And so uh, through this account and others, we believe that uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus was the author of this book. And that's significant because, if we remember, they weren't following Jesus at the time. Well, they were following him, telling him he was out of his mind. Remember that? But our guess is that something miraculous happened on that resurrection when he saw his brother raised from the dead and appear to them all. The resurrection changed him. Changed him. And notice he doesn't Apply his title, James, the half-brother of Jesus. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Early church history says that James was such a man of prayer that his knees had thick calluses so much that it looked like he had camel's knees. Kind of disgusting. He prayed that much. He was a man of prayer. Church history also records that James... He was martyred in Jerusalem by put, being pushed off the pinnacle of the temple, the highest part of the temple. He's pushed off, fell down, hit the ground, didn't die. And they had to beat him up and kill him after that while he was praying for them. I don't know about you. If I got pushed off a temple, I, I'd be probably be in a pretty bad mood. Wouldn't be praying for anybody. 
James is praying for him. Just like Jesus. Forgive them for they know not what they do. That heart of God flowing through him. He simply identifies himself as James, a servant of God and of Jesus Christ. A servant or a bond servant, he identifies himself. The Greek word is doulos. It's not a hired servant who gets paid for the work. The, di- the idea is more clearly described in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 12. I'll read it for you. <clears throat> 12 and on. It says, If any of you people, Hebrew men or women, sell themselves to you and serve you six years, in the seventh year you must let them go free. In the seventh year, you must let them go free. Go free, And when you release them, do not send them away empty-handed. Supply them liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. Give them, give to them as the Lord God has blessed you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. That's why I give you this command today. So it was in Israel that someone could say, hey, you know, you have me for six years. I'll work for you. Do whatever you need to have happen. I'll give myself to you for six years. At the end of that six years, what happened? The owners to say, you can go free. Your time is done. We remember that kind, that kind of thought with the indentured servant in the colonial America. Same type of thought that kind of went through there. But, but it goes on. It says, but if your servant says to you, I don't want to leave you. because he loves you and your family is well off with you, then take an awl and push it through his earlobe into the door. Ouch. And he will become your servant for life. Do the same for your female servant. James identifies himself as a bond servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. James could have had his freedom. He could have done anything he wanted, but he willingly gave himself to the lordship of jesus christ it's not an i am a servant or i'm hired to do this it's i am yours all of my possessions are yours i have no rights my rights are gone i am totally in your hands lord a bond servant of jesus christ living solely for his pleasure. All his aspirations, all his possessions, all he had were Christ and for his service. Other, other bond servants in the New Testament. You remember Paul in Romans 1? 1, 1? A bond servant of Jesus Christ. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ. Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1. Kale's home fellowship. A bond servant of Jesus Christ. You know, I want to say Matt a bondservant of Jesus Christ. No longer a slave to sin, but to righteousness. I want to look out at you and see that all in your ear. I'm no longer, it's no longer I who live, but a Christ who lives in me. It's no longer my rights, how I feel about stuff, but what Christ thinks. It's not my car. It's the Lord's car. It's not my income. It's the Lord's income. Everything to His glory, I've abandoned it all. It's all rubbish compared to the glory of God. It's all yours, Lord. Every single bit of it, even my problems, (laughs) they're all yours. James was a bond servant of Jesus Christ. 
to God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Interesting, he says, to God and to the Lord Jesus Christ. That word Lord is kurios in the Greek. Now, in the Old Testament, it's written in Hebrew, right? And there are a couple different names for the word Lord. One was Adonai, which you see in the Old Testament. Well, because they aren't writing Adonai, they write Lord. Well, how do you know which word he's talking about? Well, Adonai is written L-O-R-D, obviously. That's how we spell Lord. But it's a capital L, then lowercase O-R-D. So when you're reading in your Old Testament, and you see capital L, lowercase O-R-D, you know that it's the word Adonai. In the Old Testament, when you see capital L, then capital O-R-D, now it might be a kind of a subscript of an O-R-D, some of them are all capital, like in the King James, but some of them are in our NIVs. It's going to be L, capital O-R-D in smaller cases. But when you see that, that's the word for Yahweh, Jehovah, Y-H-V-H or Y-H-W-H. The name of God, the becoming one, I am that I am. We see that. Well, when they translated the Hebrew into the Greek, that Septuagint, they translated the Hebrew into the Greek. So they have that copy of the Septuagint there. They had to translate these words into Greek, Lord. And so they came up with the word kurios. That word was often described, you know, to, uh, uh, to the emperor who was deity to them. And so this, this word kurios, it's, it's, it's an entitled in control of everything. All-knowing, all-powerful Lord. And so we see this, the emperor of Rome, you know, O Curios Dominus. James was a bondservant of God and of Curios, Jesus Christ. The deity ascribed to the Messiah, the Son of God. Yahweh. You know, Jesus' name, Jesus' name means God is salvation. So it's like he's saying a bondservant of Jehovah, God is salvation, the anointed one. It's pretty amazing stuff. But to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings or grace. Before the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, this was probably written before that time, probably just in this term to the twelve tribes that are scattered, scattered abroad. There's different thoughts about it, but it's probably just a term that means to all the 12 tribes that were everywhere. Josephus wrote at the time, there's no city, no tribe, whether Greek or barbarian, which Jewish law and Jewish customs have not taken root. The Jews were everywhere. It's kind of like American culture. We're kind of in everything. You go into the middle of nowhere and they're wearing a t-shirt that says Nike. It's like, what is that? Obviously they didn't have like, you know, a shofar shirt or something like that. But as was common with many of the early church reader, uh, leaders' writings, they would be passed from church to church. This letter from James was, a, was, a, was a, a letter that was meant to be passed from one church to another. So he's saying, hey, from all the churches, they're all scattered around. Pass this around. I'm writing to you. There's, some, there's a common theme I want to talk to you about. And this was the message that James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, wanted to convey to his brothers and sisters in the faith. Verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and lacking nothing. 
It's guaranteed in this life. As we follow Jesus Christ, that you will have trials. You will face trials. And trials are meant to test your faith. When I hear people saying, you know, when they preach the gospel and say, just give your life to Jesus and everything's going to be hunky-dory. I just want to go, are you kidding? The flame just got kicked up a thousand degrees. We come to Jesus Christ, not that our life would be hunky-dory, but that's who we'd be saved from the penalty of sin. We run to him. He is our everything. We put everything into him. You are it. Without you, I'm done. And if our faith is in him in any other way, we better, we're going to have a miserable life. It gets tough when you're a Christian. And we pretty much have a good here in America. The truth is that when we give our lives to Christ, it goes crazy. But in this world, you will have many troubles or many tribulations, Jesus said in John 16, 33. Count on it. One of those promises you should underline and highlight and put on your mirror. <laughs> you know, you will have trials. And guess what about these trials? I love this. They come in many different flavors. Jesus, James calls them many kinds or various in some translations. Oh, how fun. Various trials, not just one type we all go through, various, many different, specifically for you. You know, some of us are experiencing physical trials. Anybody in the room physicing, uh, physical trial? Someone's like, what are you talking about? Okay, emotional trials. And we're all laughing at each other, right? Financial trials, relational trials, geographical trials, spiritual trials, and all the variations of each one. Anyone going through a trial this morning? You know, sometimes I get them all at once. It's not good. But know this, that there's a purpose. There is a reason why you are going through what you're going through. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete lacking nothing, through the trial you are going through that you're experiencing today, I want you to notice three things from those verses. Number one, know that your faith is being tested. Your faith is being tested. Going through a trial equals, number one, your faith is being tested. Notice that it's not for God's benefit. He's not going up there, I didn't know this about you. Oh my goodness. He buckled under pressure. Or, oh my goodness, he made it. I, I thought he was going to fail. I thought she was a flunker. No, she did great. It's not for God's benefit. He knows. It's so that we know where we stand with him. Amen? It's for you. So you know what your faith really is. We're often deceived about where we really are with the Lord. We think we're doing great because circumstances are good. Or we think that we're tight with the Lord because of, you know, a feeling we have or, or something. You know, we talk the talk. I'm going to follow you, Lord Jesus. But when it comes down to it, we literally 
you know, we, we, want, we want to follow Jesus, but what happens when the trial comes in? It shows you what's really going on in the inner workings of our hearts, doesn't it? How it brings to surface who you really are, who I really am. And I don't like that person. I want him to go away. Jesus doesn't want him to go away. He wants to come to the surface so he can be crucified and gotten out of there. Be refined. Remember Peter. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to die with you. But when the heat came up, he failed. He had great intentions. You know about that, what, you know, the phrase about great intentions, right? Good intentions. We all have good intentions. But what's really left? What's faith? What's not based upon emotion or our thoughts, but based upon what he says is really going to happen? Peter failed. Abraham succeeded. Gives us a, a picture of that. Remember that. God told Abraham to take his son, his only son, and go to a mountain and sacrifice him as a burnt offering to a mountain I'm going to tell you. Uh, no, thank you, Lord. Go take your son, your only son. Go take him to a mountain I'm going to tell you, and you're going to offer him as a burnt sacrifice. You're going to kill him, and you're going to light him on fire, and all these types of things. That's not a great uh, thing that God would do. But listen. So early the next morning, the first opportunity, he got up and he went. His faith was reflected in his actions. Okay, Lord. And he got up and he obeyed the Lord. He told his servants when they got a good ways, he says, hey, stay here. The, the child and I, the lad and I, they're gonna, we're going to go up yonder and worship. His heart was set on worship. And as got up there and his son asked him, hey, I see all the stuff of the sacrifice, but where's the lamb? And Abraham replied, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham trusted God to provide in the trial. When they got to the place, Abraham tied the boy to the altar. He's probably a young man. He was about to plunge his knife into his only son, obeying the Lord fully. And he thought to himself, God's just going to have to raise him from the dead. Because he said that through his seed, through this boy, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. He's just going to have to raise him from the dead. I don't know how it's going to work. And so as he began to commit himself to do it, God stopped him. The angel of the Lord cried out and said, Stop! Whoa! Stop! Do not lay your hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your only son from me. Oh, God finally learned something. No. Abraham realized that he feared God that he loved God even more than his only son, the one he had waited for forever. But the Lord was number one. It revealed this about him. And because he did that, his faith was accredited to him as righteousness. That's another story. And then the angel of the Lord blessed him. Abraham's faith was tested 
He was immediately obedient. He was set on worship, all these things. Secondly, the testing of your faith produces perseverance or patience. Saw that in the verse? Some of you have been tested. Some, it, produce, it produces perseverance or patience, it's translated. Patience is kind of a, when you think of patience, you think of it as non-active. But they're trying to get the idea of it's an act of patience. You're patient, but you're, you're moving in the Lord. You're, you're serving Him. Your faith is working itself out. The ancient Greek word that, that's there is hupomoni or something like that. Comes up from hupo, which means under, and uh, meno, to stay behind, or bide, or to remain at its root. And it means to remain under. It has the picture of someone under a heavy load and resolutely staying there instead of trying to escape. Whoa. That spoke to me this week. How many of us want to escape from our trials? And all we're doing is finding ways to escape. I would like to have the day off, Lord. James is saying that the testing of our faith through various trials produces patience. It produces endurance. And this brings glory to God. Our faith is to be securely in God that no matter what comes our ways, our eyes are fixed on Him. We're abiding Him. No matter what the load is, what the weight, we're to be fixed upon Him. The author and the finisher of our faith. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all those people before that have gone through all the troubles in the Old Testament, let us throw off everything that hinders us and so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the pioneer or the author and perfecter of our faith for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, that endurance, that perseverance, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary in your heart. How many of you are weary in your trial? I am weary in my trial. How many of you are faint of heart? Fix your eyes upon Jesus who persevered, lest you become discouraged in your soul. The author is saying, hey, look at the brothers and sisters who have gone before you. Look to Jesus above all, who is the author. Throw off the sin. Run with perseverance. Keep your eyes on him. And notice several times in those verses I just read, he said, let us, let us run, let us throw off. That's a choice. And it has that same thought. James is saying the same thing. Let, uh, let's, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let it happen. Let perseverance, instead of escaping, trying to find escape, let it. Embrace the trial that you're in. Embrace the hardship the pain, the weight. Embrace it. Some of us are not letting perseverance finish its work and therefore we're not mature and we're lacking everything. And so we just remain under this weight and we're getting crushed. The message is this. Stop escaping from your trials because there's God's way of refining your faith and making you mature in Him. If we embrace our trials and recognize the Lord is in them, 
and is using them to perfect us, we have reason to rejoice. That counterintuitive thought, count it all joy because it's producing what needs to happen. But I'm not living for Jesus. I don't want that to happen. It shows you what's going on in your heart. Are you living for him or are you living for self? Are you wanting to become more mature like Jesus, taking upon your cross and dying daily? Or are you trying to escape from the trial? I don't want this cup, Lord, and whether you give it to me or not, I'm not going to take it. Some things are out of our control. It's revealing what's going on in our hearts, where we stand with him. If we choose to escape and reject reject God's hand in our lives and circumstances, we lose our maturity and our lives will be miserable as we travel through the 31 flavors. Yuck. I don't like this one either. Recognize that God is refining your faith this morning. Know that His aim is to make you like Jesus. But until that day... We're going to need wisdom. And we're going to stop right now. It says, if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God. How many of you need wisdom in your trial? Man, I need wisdom. We're going to get into this next week. If any of you lacks wisdom, go to Google. (laughs) Go to your doctor. Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that today we would be your bond servants. We ask that as we go through your word, you would be honored. That your spirit would do his work in us, Lord. Already this morning, you've spoken to my heart as I've gone and studied these things. And I pray that these same things would be worked out in the hearts of your people, Lord. God, help us not to escape, but to run to you, our strong tower our refuge. Let us run to you for wisdom and not to the world. God, the vain things that we, tr- we sedate ourselves with when we could be experiencing the fullness that you have for us. The way of the cross is not pretty, Father. It's not fun all the time. But it brings out the fruit of righteousness. We want to be like you, Lord Jesus. And if we don't today, Lord... Do that work within us. We love you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.